great pod today. Todd McShay's newest mock draft is out. All offense, all quarterbacks, all the time. And that's what we'll be doing. And an open on Russell Wilson. And we'll close with life advice for the weekend. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now. And FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip from free high speed Wi Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more. Book direct at lq.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Before we get to McShay today, and we'll do uh, some life advice there at the end, you know what? With McShay coming up, because if you haven't seen it, his mock draft is out. It's all offense at the top. Five quarterbacks go in the top 12. He has trades in there as well. And the first reaction is like, you're going to be kidding me. You're going to have five quarterbacks go this high. So I need to update the QB bus rating thing or ranking, whatever it is. I don't know. Either apply in this case. I did it a couple years ago when I was still at ESPN, but I went through the last 20 years of first rounders and I didn't want to make it super complicated. I wanted to make it pretty easy, kind of a common sense consensus on quarterbacks' careers because when five go in the first round, two, maybe three are going to be terrible. It's unbelievable. And it's it's a 50% bust rate. I really believe that. So I'll go back and look at it again. You know, depending on mood, maybe maybe the, the percentage will change a little bit because I was being pretty fair. I wasn't trying... I wasn't doing a confirmation bias approach here where I was like, let me try to find a way to prove my point by anything that's close that goes in my favor in the category that I want it to be. I was trying to be open-minded and fair about it. So it was bust, great career. And then the guys in the middle, I didn't even count as bust. And even with that, first rounders, about a 50% bust rate. So you've got this excitement if you don't have a quarterback right now. And you're like, hey, McShay has it dialed in with a quarterback. So we'll go over all the different QBs and some of the issues there. And... You know, there was there's so much to do on it. I think it's going to be QB heavy, and we know we'll have Todd on again um, probably a couple more times before the draft even starts. So that's coming up. But first, I want to talk about a different quarterback, and that is Mr. Unlimited, Russell Wilson. Uh, Russell has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL now for years. In the beginning, it was about the defense. Maybe entry point, it was harder for others to understand, like, are you really paying attention to what this guy is doing? Because in the beginning... When you look at him versus some other young quarterbacks, they didn't. They weren't asking him to go out there and lead the team. And now, <laughs> what they've been doing, transitioning away from that, is it's been the Russell Wilson show. And I would hope everybody understands that I've defended him, or I don't even feel like I've had to defend him. I, I think it's just me going, you know what? He's my MVP one year, and then I think Brady kind of ran away with it at the end. I just think he's great as a quarterback. I love him as a quarterback. But I was very early on the... Russell Wilson is a weird talk. <laughs> and and I guess the better way to describe that would be his post-game things, like we get it. You know, there's there's not going to be a ton of depth there, but it's so predetermined what he's going to say that it lacks any authenticity whatsoever. And by the way, it doesn't matter because if you're a Seahawks fan, I'd much rather have the better quarterback than the guy that has a touch of authenticity to what he's saying. And I've never quite understood it, but I remember being so early on it that people were pushing back for me like a pioneer on this one. I just was like, no, man, there's something's weird here. Like, this is weird. This is weird. And, and I know that Van Pelt loved him. I think there was a Wisconsin, maybe even a wheels up connection there where Van Pelt would be like, you're wrong, you're wrong. And I was just like, no, I, I just think like none of it matters. None of it impacts the football part of it. But there is something in the way he processes every single comment that is so constructed, so predetermined that I just think it's weird. I just think it's weird. As an observer of things, which is essentially my career, I've made that observation and I was on it early and I was on it so early that people were just like, why are you rowing to the West Coast? Like, I just want to see what's out here. Fur trade. All right. 
The reason I do all of this setup here is because I thought his comments on Dan Patrick's radio show were revealing, not for anybody else, but incredibly revealing for somebody like Russell Wilson. Now, this has made the news now for a couple of days, and I can't tell if this is a big deal or, or not a big deal. If it were someone else, I would think, ah, that's not that big of a deal. But the headlines have been that, you know, Russell Wilson's criticizing the offensive line, which, by the way, if you've ever seen him do any single postgame, anything whatsoever, the speed with which he has his mouth moving and his brain operating to be like, oh, on the offensive line, like, it's incredible. So let's get to the Dan comments first, because he asked him a few different things, and Dan is terrific. I, I still think Dan, going back to when I was just a fan listening to the radio, he's the best with big-time athletes because there's a level of respect for Dan as then the face of ESPN and now still very successful. But Dan's just good. He interrupts people in a better way. He'll steer the conversation because, I mean, look, if I were offered Russell Wilson, I would have passed for years. I'm like, it's just not that interesting to me. Uh, but Dan Patrick is terrific at this. He always has been, continues to be, and he's a big reason why we got anything out of him. And part of it was, hey, what's up with the offensive line? You've been sacked 400 times. You're going to go down as the most sacked quarterback in NFL history. It's not just the sacks, the hits. And Russ, it was basically about personnel and all these different things. But then it even got to this point, which I think is important, where Dan Patrick actually asked Russell Wilson if he were potentially available in a trade. Yeah, I definitely believe the guy in calls for sure. I think that... Uh... You know, I think anytime you're, um, you know, you know, uh, a player that, you know, tries to produce every week and has done it for, you know, consistently, I think people are going to call for sure. And I think it's part of the process. Yeah, but you're a franchise quarterback. You're a Hall of Fame quarterback. You're not available, are you? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm available or not. That's a, that's a Seahawks <laughs> question. So I'm sure if you didn't see or hear any of that, you're thinking, okay, Ryan, that's not really that big of a deal. Okay, that's that's fair. And maybe you're right. Maybe it isn't. A big deal at all but I still think for Russell Wilson it is a big deal what if I propose this to you okay again the most careful speaker perhaps in any of the major sports I mean here's an example Kyle let's just go ahead and play this this is him this could have been him after any game fucking ever like forever ever ever and it's the same stuff here's Russell Wilson yeah I look forward to the moments you know we look forward to them yeah I want to shy away from them and I think that uh, that's where great teams, they come through. Um, and we, we, keep, we keep trying to find a way. So I think we, uh, the reality is, you know, we're just five and one, you know. That's the reality, and that's a good, that's a good reality. Uh, but we want to stay the course and just try to win the next game. We've got a tough battle you know, back at home. And so to come in here in this environment, you know, these fans here were, were, were tough. And our fans showed up, as you can see right there, and it was a great game. I think Tyler Lockett played great. DK came with a huge third down catch right there, uh, big time play. Uh, Chris Carson, you know, the line did tremendous. I think about George Fan having, having to step in there, that was great, tremendous. I mean, the fourth and one stop at the end, I mean, by our defense, I mean, it, it's championship football, and that's what we need. Ah, congratulations, but, Russell. Thanks so much. And this ball right here, this, I'm going to miss you, babe. This ball's for you, babe. Love you, brother. Yeah. Go on. So again, maybe in this moment, if you haven't been paying attention to this stuff, you're just like, hey, that's not that's not that big of a deal. I'm like, no, no, no. It is a big deal because I have a little insight into it because I think that Russell Wilson looks at himself as once football is over, there's going to be something beyond football, like a greater calling. And whether that's business or leadership and, and who am I as someone who is not even remotely as successful as Russell Wilson to be critical of any of these things? Because I'm not. Again, I'm just emphasizing this. Not being critical of his pursuit of whatever it is that he's going to be. But I almost think at times he sees himself as somebody who's going to be something else that just happens to play football right now. So I've also heard that the way he is so calculated with these answers is that this pursuit of this this ultimate approval rating so that once he ventures into business and philanthropy and all these different things, it's going to be like, Hey, everybody really likes me. And I would argue that, you know, eventually authenticity plays out a little bit more unless you being authentic is that you're the worst guy ever. And that's not the case with Russell Wilson at all. So I think he's very protective. I think he's just crafted this thing since he came to the league almost a decade ago, where it's like, I am going to be the face of this franchise. I am going to be thought of in a, in a certain way, he has branded it perfectly. The GQ thing was great, but Modern Lovers, if I ever do a GQ shoot, I can promise you it will never be the Modern Lovers issue. Um, they say babe in it about 700 times. Look, I just just trust me on that. I couldn't make my way through it, all right? So it's not my thing. It's not my deal. It's, it's not uh, catered to my tastes. 
But that Russell Wilson was even saying anything about the offensive line that was remotely negative is actually a pivot for him. And I don't know what to make of the offensive line. If we're being completely fair about this, final grades, depending on websites that you trust, I think the PFF guys had the Seahawks in the middle of the pack, like 14th as a unit, which is actually the highest ranking or grade that they had had for the offensive line since Russell Wilson came to the league. Uh, Entering the season, they actually had him ranked 28th, so that was a big bump up for them. But if you're a Seahawks fan or anybody that's watched Russell Wilson, as great as he is, and he is all of that, he makes it really hard on an offensive line. I can't imagine having to block for that guy because it's brutal. And then you're like, okay, well, how are you actually assigning blame or success to any of the guys on the offensive line? How do you actually grade that with somebody like Russell Wilson when you're you're out there thinking you're blocking something and then all of a sudden the guy behind you is sacked? Whatever it is, there's a lot more good in it than there is bad with Russell Wilson's approach. But to just say all the hits are a lack of personnel or that Russell Wilson needs more input on personnel. But then when Dan's like, hey, are you available in trade? And he's like, well, you know, that's more of a Seahawks question, but he's even flirting with it. That is revealing. This may end up being nothing. Okay. Maybe it's a moment where we spend a few days on it and it's not a big deal. He's under contract through 2023. It's a very favorable contract. Remember when he did his first extension, I think the Seahawks even did it about a year earlier than they needed to because he was at a really, he was at minimum wage numbers for a for an NFL quarterback, and they hooked him up there, not to say that anybody ever that gets paid goes years later and like, you know what, I'm not really happy with my current situation, but they stepped up a bunch of years ago, so I owe it to them. No, it's your money, it's in your pocket, your account, so you don't care anymore about that. But somebody who has been this careful, would it be surprising that Russell Wilson would say, you know, maybe I need a bigger market? Maybe my pop star wife doesn't want to be in Seattle forever. Although I don't understand why you couldn't play in any NFL city and then just live in other major cities most of the year. It's it's actually a fairly easy schedule other than the physical part of it. But you get my point. So maybe this is another quarterback that we add to the list of just kind of understanding that they have NBA player power, which we've been on for a long time. And we we've seen it. And we're going to see more of it. And the guy that you would think would be the last to even allow these kinds of discussions to happen because he's been so protective of his words, as it stands today, I think this is actually a big deal. And if he's somewhere else, I'm not going to be surprised at all. Coming up, we'll go over all the first rounders. McShay has five of them in his first mock draft. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock. Hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it'd been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time. Said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. It's that time of year. His mock draft is out up on ESPN.com. It is Todd McShay. Let's just get to it. Offense is the story, at least the beginning here. Um, And then you have five quarterbacks going to the top 12. So give me how this is developed because, you know, it's not entirely fair when it was like, oh, it's always Lawrence, it's always Fields. And then you you guys start breaking it down a little bit more. How has that in the last month or so changed from Fields being the certain number two to now Wilson ahead of him and even Trey Lance? Yeah, 
to be honest with you, I, you know, when the season ends, we go back and we study the tape. And Trevor Lawrence, to me, I don't want to say is a no-brainer, but he's as close to a no-brainer coming out of college since 2012 with Andrew Luck. So and I, I don't think Urban Meyer, and I, I've talked to Urban, I don't think Urban Meyer takes that job in Jacksonville if he doesn't have a once-in-a-decade type of talent coming out of the quarterback position that he knows he can bring in and, and develop. And um, so I, I think that's, you know, you start there. But to me, the draft starts at number two with the Jets. And when I studied Wilson, the frustrating part is you don't get to see him against great competition. And then a year ago, we had the shoulder injury and the thumb injury. But I'm convinced after the tape study. And with some char- character concerns could come up and we could have, um, you know, some some injury issues or durability question marks with the medical exams. But if you're just basing it off of the tape, Zach Wilson to me is the number two player in this draft, and certainly the number two quarterback in this draft. And that's why I put him with the Jets. And if the Jets you know, don't take him there, they're going to move out and the team will move up to go get him. Where it becomes interesting. And so basically, Ryan, it's Lawrence and then a small gap and then Wilson and then a small gap. And then I think put in Lance from North Dakota State and Justin Fields from Ohio State in that third tier, if you will, of quarterbacks. And what I've seen with Fields is obviously he's so physically gifted. I mean, he's, he's big, he's strong, he's sturdy, he's durable. He's got a big arm, he extends plays, he's competitive, and he's accurate when he can see his receiver open. But that's the issue that I'm, I'm kind of working through between he and Lance Lance, he's not quite as accurate consistently at this point as, uh, as Fields is, and, and clearly didn't play as many games and, and against the same competition. But I think he, that he sees the field and processes faster. He has faster eyes. And he, he can go from progression one to two to three to four quicker than, than Fields does. And what, um, and what happens with Fields is he – Ryan Day is such a good quarterback coach, and that offense is so quarterback friendly that it allowed him to be very accurate in a lot of games. But when defenses were highly talented or threw a lot of different things at him, he struggled. And in the Clemson game, he was he was great. But you look at Indiana, Northwestern, and then the the championship game against Alabama, he completed around 52% of his throws and had five interceptions in those three games. And that's where I'm, you know, that's the kind of defense he's going to see in the NFL, you know, and, and even ramped up, obviously. So that's where I'm struggling between those two guys. But, I, again, I think it's Lawrence one, clear, clear cut. Wilson should be the number two pick, and then it's Lance and Fields. I think you, you can go back and forth on that. All right. Understanding that my uh, version of evaluating this is far limited uh, compared to the way you're doing it, um, with Fields, you know, the beginning of the year, I was like, man, you know, this guy's oh, right there fire. with Lawrence. Yeah. And then, you know, I'd start thinking about when he struggled a bit and I go, is is this on him or are they so good on offense at times that he's wondering like, wait, why is there a safety over there now? So it was almost like a... It, it, I'm almost defending him in that I thought some of his struggles at times, it was like, oh, wait, this has been so open the beginning of the year. These these post routes, which I, I think are a lot easier than than people kind of understand, because if you get one on one with some of their receivers, especially it's like just throw it up in the air and the guy's going to go ahead and get it. And then on as as the season went along, the people started doing some different stuff. And then it was like, oh, wait, OK, that that thing had been opened all the time. And now I got to adjust for that. And then I yeah, thought the that's, North, that's my go ahead. point. That's yeah. my point, right? Like that—that's my whole point. Is you got to adjust, and, and that's what you're going to see in the league. And and, and I, I'm seeing the same things you're seeing, and, and you're coming from it from a, a positive standpoint. I'm coming from more of a concerned standpoint in terms of is he going to be able to adjust? And because he he has so many weapons around him, and because he has such a good offensive coach in Ryan Day. And because everything is kind of mechanical, if you will, and, and this is going to be a read. This is what we're going to see. This is what we expect. Boom, boom. You know, when things are right for him, he's special. I mean, he really is. He can make, he, he extends and he makes throws and he can be pinpoint accurate. But when it gets muddy for him 
it's not a clear window. That's where I'm, I'm again, I'm still working through it because I, I just, I don't know. Because in the league, when it gets muddied, that's when the elite quarterbacks excel. You know, when Tom Brady sees something that is different, he figures out a way timing-wise or adjustment-wise to, to handle the situation, you know? And Aaron Rodgers does the same thing Drew Brees has for so many years. All the great quarterbacks, they do that. And I, I, I just haven't seen enough of that from him yet. That doesn't mean he can't adjust and, and improve and mature, but I just haven't seen enough of that yet to, to be convinced that he's the number two or number three quarterback in this class. Yeah, no, all of that's fair. I think the Northwestern game, they dropped everybody. They have a good secondary. And I think that was more on day going like, all right, do we now, do we want to keep trying to throw the football against these guys? Or do you guys want to run it a little bit? Next thing you know, Trey, Trey Sermon almost like wins he, a Heisman and a half. 44% in that game? He was bad. He was bad in that game, but I also thought they were dropping everyone. And I thought Ohio State was stubborn about what they were trying to do on offense. So, and and I'm not turning yeah. this into like, hey, I think Fields is awesome and you think he sucks. I just, there were, I watched no, him all look, year. I watched every the, game. The beauty is like, Jim Donnan, right, who was the old Georgia coach, he's been texting yeah. me saying, I'm crazy. I'm crazy. You know, I've gone to practice every day, and, I've, and you're, you're out of your mind. If he's not the first quarterback in this class, he's the second. Um, I, and then I've talked, to G, I've talked to three different GMs who think he's the fourth or fifth best quarterback in this class and just are, are not on board. So it, it just depends on who you're talking to, what you've seen, and how you translate it to what he can be in the NFL. And that's what, you add that to the fact, first of all, we've, we've got Trevor Lawrence, Fields, Wilson, and, and Lance, and Mac Jones, who had an epic year this year in Alabama. And then you've got all of these quarterbacks. You know, is, is Sam Darnold going to be in, in New York? Is Jimmy Garoppolo going to be in San Francisco? What's Chicago going to do? What's, um, what's Indianapolis going to do? They're, they're picking at 20 and 21, respectively. And both teams are trying to court and, and get a deal done with uh, Carson Wentz. So like, there's so many moving parts. New England needs a quarterback. There's so many moving parts of quarterback now. And there's so many differing, uh, differing opinions on the, the, uh, the NFL draft quarterbacks this year, the guys who are going to be rookies. That it, it, to me, that, this next three months is going to be the most fascinating three months leading up to a draft that I've had in 20 years because of all the veteran quarterback movement, because this class is unique, and because of all the different things that we've had to go through in the last 12 months with, uh, with COVID. Back to Wilson. When I watch him, it feels a little bit like that baseball arm that everybody's in love with, so I don't know what his background yep. is. I, so. Go ahead and, and take that any direction you want, and then I have to follow well, up on the why, character. That's why you part. get a lot of Mahomes. You get a lot of Mahomes comparisons because he's, he's similar in that the arm angle can change. It's like it's kind of like watching the shortstop turn turn a double play, right? Get the ball, it's out. And then, and then what I love about him is he has instincts and a natural feel in the pocket. And it, it, Listen, I, I've told you this before. We've talked about it a lot. Mahomes was one of the hardest evaluations I've ever had in my life because he did every single possible thing wrong from a mechanical standpoint <laughs> and from inside the pocket. Like, you know, get the ball in that Texas Tech offense. He was kind of fading back. He was off balance. Sometimes he was like submarining the ball, throwing it 50 yards in the air. But the end result was... Right on, right on the money. Extended play, you know, created something that wasn't there. Initial play broke down, and he made he made something happen. And then at the end of the play, the ball would be in the correct spot, even though he went against every single rule that you would teach your son in terms of playing the quarterback position. So it, I remember going through like the first two games, and like, oh, I, I just I don't see it. The mechanics are gross, and all these things. But at the end of the play, like every bit of, like I went back in my notes and said, completion, completion, ball on spot, ball placement. And at the end of it, I said, you know what? This guy, this guy could be special if he has the right situation. And he did. He had Alex Smith. He has Andy Reid, who's one of the best quarterback coaches. He had a year to learn, and everything came together. So I think the same with Zach Wilson. I'm not saying he's going to be Pat Mahomes. But I'm saying he, he's kind of in that similar situation where he's coming from a situation at, at BYU 
where he didn't play great competition. He may need a little bit of time in developing and learning to play within this system. But if he has the right coaches around him and the right, you know, the proper time to develop, I think he has a chance to be elite and one of the top five, six quarterbacks in the league four or five years from now. Yeah, look, I mean, Kansas City deserves all the credit in the world because anybody that watched Mahomes that year, you were like, what am I supposed to do with this? And then the one thing that I was told after the fact is that some of the stuff that he did is because he knew they're going to give up at least 50 on defense every single game. So he was actually that right. smart that he was playing to the limitations of the defense because there was stuff that he would do. You go, how the hell do you throw that ball there? How do you do it? And he just sort of knew. So um, again, Veach and... The best and, was, I, I, I actually did, I did his... I did the Chiefs preseason games for two years. And his his second year, which was his first year as a, a full-time starter, we sat down for the first time. That I, I had talked to him during the draft process, but the first time that he was in the league. And we talked for about 25, 30 minutes. And he looked at me at one point, and I, just, I asked him, I was like, how important was it to get a year to learn under, you know, with Alex there being willing to help you and to have Andy Reid? He said, let me just, Give you an example, Tom. I have never identified a Mike linebacker, that middle linebacker, which you, I mean, I learned in, I think, or probably in Pop Warner, and definitely in, in high school. I, he's like, I've never identified a Mike linebacker. He's like, three out of seven times, I, I would misidentify it. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I, he's like, I just have never been asked to do it. Like, when I, was, I grew up in Texas and, and, where I played in Texas Tech, like we never had to do that. It's the simplest thing. It's like 54 is the mic. If you watch any football game in the NFL and you just listen to, to the, the pre-snap stuff, the first thing the quarterback does is say, you know, uh, 39 is the mic, 54 is the mic, whatever the number is. And that helps the offensive line set protection. He didn't know how to do that. I mean, it's the simplest of things, but that's why he needed a year. And, and that's why... All of these quarterbacks come out, we can all see the talent. It doesn't seem take a, a super scout, but it, you have to have the right situation for the, for the quarterback that you're bringing in. And that's why you spend so many hours trying to figure out where they are mentally, who do we have that can coach them, what kind of time do we have with them. And that's why I've been talking to different head coaches this week. I've had three different calls from head coaches this week talk, asking me questions about what I know about the quarterbacks. Because they, they have not had any face-to-face time with these quarterbacks this year, and it's driving them crazy. Man, that was a good story. That was great. I mean, I think I can identify the mic at home, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm misidentifying yeah. them. You know, because sometimes I'll just yeah, be like, I mean, what, what's the point? Like, yeah, 53. You, you, might, be, you might be getting the will, the weak side linebacker. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's unbelievable. But in one year, he learned that from just being able to sit back, take it all in, Learn from Alex and learn from Andy. By the way, there's a really good chance I'm getting it wrong at home. All right, let's uh, let's keep going here. <laughs> Mac Jones, you know I texted you about his footwork in the pocket. I go, it's I'm not. Hey, you texted me about a lot of quarterbacks in the past. Couple. I do, I do, and I'll always tell Cole Todd, I'll be like, Feel... Tim Tebow. you don't have nah. your track record is. Um... My I track record is incredible. First of all, the oh. height thing on Tebow. Is my bad. All right. That was that was my bad. Because I was yeah, like, this guy's not that big. Off. I was like, this guy's not that big. I was <laughs> I was with him tonight. And then um McCoy, I was right about, which is fine because there's there's a debt there. But honestly, I think over the long haul that I'm still up money wise with you, you taking care of stuff. So I'm not I'm not All complaining right. about that. No, I talked about <laughs> Mac Jones mobility in the pocket where I go. The thing that I like about him more than just, hey, Sark's dialing this up and everybody at Alabama can throw to these all-pro receivers that just happen to be in the SEC right now, that his footwork in the pocket was really special, I thought, for somebody that young. That that, that was the part where I go, I think there's a little bit more to this than just a big number season. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's difficult, too, because all right, so we, t- we talked Trevor's, Trevor's Trevor. Zach didn't play great competition and was had injuries in 2019. Trey Lance had one showcase game this year. He didn't play that great, and, and he's playing FCS competition. And we talked about Justin Fields and, and kind of the you know the issues that I'm still fighting through and trying to figure out. With Mac, there's so many things to love, but you have to keep in perspective. He has three offensive linemen that are going to get drafted in the first three, four rounds. 
because a wide receiver in Devontae Smith who arguably had the best the best season of any wide receiver in the history of college football. And you look back and Najee Harris is a first round running back standing behind him. So he has everything around him with, as you mentioned, Sark is one of the best play callers in college football, if not the best. So you have to keep that in mind. And, and that's what I've tried to do. But what I love about him is what you just said. His poise and presence inside the pocket, even though he wasn't pressured nearly as much as, as most of these, these other guys, he feels it. Like if, if it's outside pressure, he climbs the pocket, he's poised, he doesn't get rattled, his eyes are down the floor. If the pressure comes from the inside, he slides a little bit. Now, is he going to take off and run like, like Zach can or Trey can or Trevor can or, or Justin can? No, he doesn't have that in, in his arsenal, but he can pick up six, seven yards when you need to. And then the other part is his accuracy. He throws the ball on time and has pinpoint accuracy within about 20, 25 yards. He underthrew his receivers several times when, when I studied all of the tape uh, on the deep ball. And it just so happens that he's got Mechie, who I know nobody really knows about because he wasn't one of the big name four receivers who were going to be first round draft picks in a two year span with, uh, you know, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, and, and Jalen Waddle. But, uh, but Mechie stepped up and made some big time plays for him down the field. And Devontae Smith was, was absolutely phenomenal. So it, it's tough because it's only one year, 17 starts in a two-year span, and he had so much greatness around him. But I think he has a chance to be one of the, the few guys that come in the league without great mobility that can have early success because he's so smart, he's so determined, and he's so tough. And I love talking to Sark about him. Early in the year, we actually we did the Missouri game, I think it was. It was the second or third week of the season. And Sark was like, you know what? We can win. We have so much around this guy. I just need him to stay in his lane. If Max stays in his lane, we can win. The second game that we had, he said, you know, he's developing. We're, we're really impressed with where, where he's coming. I'm, I'm giving him more than I usually give to quarterbacks. And by the third game that we had live with him, Sark just came out and said, listen, I have never and I, I've had all those the USC quarterbacks. I, I've worked with Matt Ryan, you know, like, but at the college level, I have never given more to a quarterback and he's been able to digest it and, and be able to, to operate at a high level like, like this guy. And, and now it all runs through him. In the beginning of the year, it was stay in your lane, just be a game manager. And now it's all about this, this guy at quarterback. And it, it was really cool to see Sark the transformation in terms of his mindset of who this guy was in September versus who he is now in, in December. Okay. I have a couple more things. So let's, let's run through it. Uh, Kadarius yeah. Tony at Florida is, is one of those guys when you watch the Gators, I mean, obviously Pitts is a stud. You have him going higher at the tight end. Um, yep. You're like, man, this, this guy, you know, out, out, in, out in space. Um, there's a little, there's a little juice to him. I think he's got some physical, stuff where I'm like, man, I, I like the whole package, even though he's a little raw and obviously undersized. The thing that I always get afraid of is all the dudes that we fall in love with, whether it was DeAnthony Thomas up at Oregon or Jeff Demps, even at Florida. And Jeff Demps was probably just, just like a straight line go, or, you know, they'd run some sweeps with him and that kind of stuff. So I think he was even more limited as a receiver and a route runner than some of these, but there's some of these smaller guys that dominate in college that we're all like blown away. And then we never hear from them again. And so for you to have Tony in the first round, what is it about him that either sets him apart or projects to be somebody that actually stay in the league for a long time? He's explosive and he's versatile. And that, those are two of the things that you're really looking for right now in, in terms of offensive weapons. And you, you can line him up in the backfield. You can use him on, on fly sweeps. You can use him in the slot. You can put him out wide. And he's not polished. He's, you know, he's, he's not Jamar Chase from LSU, who I have going six overall to the Eagles. He's not Devontae Smith, who I have going to Detroit at seven. He's not Jalen Waddle, And even though Waddle can still develop as a route runner a little bit, but he's still not at that level. And I, I've got Waddle going to, to Miami. I, I predicted the trade, but that's the number eight overall pick. But the reason I put uh, Tony at number 19 to Washington is because he can do so many different things. He can develop as a receiver in terms of his routes and getting in and out of breaks, but he has the physical tools to do it. 
and, and that's what makes him special. And I mean, look at look at. Uh, I'm not saying he's Tyreek Hill. He's, he's more Debo Samuel, is what he is. He's not Tyreek. There's only one Tyreek in the world. But I, I think Debo Samuel is a really good cop in terms of who he could be in the NFL. And you're talking about a guy who, again, you can hand the ball off to, short game, get a couple of vertical shots to him, maybe use him in the in the, uh, the return game. And a guy who, it makes it easy on the quarterback and easy on the coordinator and easy on the offense. When you can throw a quick swing or a, a hitch or a slant or, you know, anything in the quick game and get 25, 30 yards. And that's what Tony is. And you know what I loved about him too? Obviously, he had a great senior year, and Kyle Pitts was was the the attraction at the tight end position. Deservedly so, he'd be a top ten pick. And Kyle Trask had a great year. He's probably going to be a second round pick. But what I loved about Tony is that he got better as the season progressed. He played big in the big games, and then at the Senior Bowl, I watched him early in the week in practice. Got tangled up with the defensive back and ran into the goalpost. And he came over to the sideline, and the trainers were all over him. You know, what's going on? I was standing five feet away from him. He was saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. There was something with his rib, and, and he just was having trouble breathing. He dropped two passes later that day in practice, and I read from a bunch of different people, well, Tony came out here, and he, he's dropping passes. He doesn't look like the same guy. But you know what he did? He went back into practice. And it's, it, it, he could he really didn't have to be there. He showed up, he got injured, and he kept practicing, and he showed up the next day and he caught everything. And he would, to me, was, if not the most explosive, he, he was up there in two or three most explosive players at the Senior Bowl that week in practice. Why chase over Devontae Smith? Why chase over Devontae Smith? Uh, I would say traits is the best way to put it. And I, I had Devontae over Chase in the last last mock draft. I, I have identical grades on the two. One in Chase is is bigger, more physical. He's got speed for days. He averaged 21.2 yards per catch in 2019. And everyone forgets that because he, he opted out and, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Devontae comes back. Jalen Waddle goes down in the fifth game. And from that point on, he, he absolutely took over. And he, I mean, I struggle with it. I, I really, it's 50-50 with me. I, I think Chase has a bigger upside. I think he's a better talent. I think Devontae is Marvin Harris. He doesn't look the part. He's got skinny legs. You wonder, how is he doing this? But he just keeps doing it. And I, I mentioned Ruggs and Judy and, and Waddle. And of those four guys, this will be the first time in the history of the draft that a, a school has had two receivers on the first round twice, and it's going to be in consecutive years. So I, think about that wide receiver room. And there's nothing I enjoy more about being on the sideline than watching the Alabama wide receivers sit on the back of that bench and yell at each other. They, they chirp all day long. They are so competitive. They tell each other, why didn't you make that cut? What are you doing there? You got to catch that ball, block that guy. You know, and they just get after each other all the time. I've never seen a more competitive group over the last couple of years than when I have the Alabama wide receivers. And I think that's what makes Devontae special. He's just worked his craft so hard to be the most consistent receivers of four wide receivers that can be first round draft picks. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah, that was the. Fun thing about, especially being in, in Tuscaloosa for that LSU-Bama matchup, where you know you're looking at the field and you go, "There's there's like seven or eight first rounders running around right now." Like on on just we're yeah. just talking about pass catchers, and so for all the love that you'd have for Judy because of the route running, and then Rugs, and then Waddle would show up in speed. I'd always be like, six is always open." And then you wonder, like, is Devontae right. open because right. of all the these like, other guys? Judy, Judy was the Judy was precision. Rugs was speed and toughness. Um, Waddle's Waddle like speed is, plus. Waddle, Waddle's twi twitchy speed. Can just get the ball in his hands. I don't care how you do it. Get the ball in his hands. And then Devontae was always like, well, what is he? You know, he's, he's kind of skinny. He's not six. He's not six one. He's not six two. He's not two hundred pounds. He doesn't have a, like 
four three speed, but the dude just knows how to get open, and he's not he's not afraid of doing anything in terms of dirty work, blocking, going over the middle, all the things that you love about receivers. I, I Chase is physically more talented. I am in love with Devontae Smith. I think he's going to be a special player in the league, and I think he's he's going to. He's going to take that competitiveness that he had in Alabama, and he's going to take it to another level in the NFL, especially if he's the number two wide receiver taken off the board. He'll come in with the chip. All right, we'll do more of this as we get a little closer, man. I, I appreciate the time and a busy schedule, and stay safe. We'll talk soon. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season? Throw in a little... Something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. May do a couple follow-up. People are really excited about the joint checking account, apparently, Kyle. The lumber, our lumber magnate who was worried about the joint <laughs> account. People just had all sorts of, and it was all the different, you know? So, hey, celebrate, celebrate differentness on opinions of that one. We, we had a couple others. I don't know. I don't know if I want to turn this into feedback corner, but your content, Kyle, this week, Spirit Award for you over there on the oh, really? Xbox. Yeah. Actually, we should have titled that podcast. <laughs> Kyle sells his Xbox for weed. <laughs> oh shit. And NBA observations. So, you know, I don't it's about I don't nine years with that one. No, it, it appears, yeah, right, right. It is uh it appears people were were sympathetic to your plight. Broken Xbox. What are you gonna do? Yeah. Gotta recoup your losses. Speaking of weed, check in from California, big guy, grew up in New England. Um, he's given up too much personal information here, so I don't want to get him in trouble. I moved to California after college with almost no plan entirely. I was dating a girl and we moved out there together. Shockingly, we didn't last, but hey, we're young. You give it a shot. Shout out to you. She left and I'm still here. Been over three years now. Now I find myself working as a caddy at... I, he, why does he have all this personal information? I'm just going to cover for you here. Maybe you don't care and it doesn't matter, but he's a caddy at a really nice resort. Um, and also a few years bartending downtown at night. So caddy day, bartending at night. To say your boy's been impacted financially by the pandemic, uh, pandemic would be putting things lightly. Service industry, I'm sure you get it. Anyway, this is leading to my point. So here I'll explain my dilemma because work as a caddy has been sparse. I've got another day job. I work for a cannabis dispensary here um, as a delivery driver. It's not what I want to be doing, but it's paying the bills. So here's the thing. I don't like weed. <laughs> for whatever reasons, it doesn't really matter, but I personally think it's stupid. And I absolutely hate all the crap about, oh, it's medicine and that sort of thing. It's weed. You just want to get high. Admit it. We're all adults. It's fine if that's what you want to do. But the charade is what kills me. There's a million other examples of this sort of thing in our society. We don't need to go there. All right. Um, I got a big chuckle out of that because there are times where I just go, like, give me a break. You just want to get high. We've talked about the editable, uh, the edible part of it again, where I'm like, oh, yeah, is your anxiety down? <laughs> like, were you tripping? So <laughs> there are 
people that will tell you, especially anybody going through um, significant health stuff, um, that they'd rather do this than than take any kind of. And I'm going to turn it into a pills and opioid debate and all that kind of stuff, um, because I I tend to lean uh, towards the marijuana argument on this. But there are moments in the pro marijuana argument where I will just be like, okay, come on. Um, or maybe we're just saying cannabis now. All right. So I understand your point. All right. So now I'm literally driving around town, delivering weed to people. I'm a drug dealer. I don't feel proud telling my parents, oh yeah, I'm just going to go sell some weed today. So my question is this, uh, how do I sleep at night knowing I'm a drug dealer? Like I genuinely don't believe in what I'm doing. It's not like I'm slinging meth or killing people, but there's part of me that doesn't like what I'm doing. And really it's just a job for the meantime until I get back to caddying, but it bothers me. Anyway, thanks for taking your time to read. Would love to hear your thoughts. I think you're being a little too hard on yourself. In a way, I I almost am, I think it's kind of cool that you have this this standard for yourself and you feel it, but you're not a drug dealer. I mean, you're Uber for weed. So uh, yeah, I mean, if we want to get into a whole semantics thing here and say, yeah, actually you are, maybe you disagree with me saying that, but I, I think you're being a little hard on yourself with that. And considering you're in two different service industries where I doubt you've been able to make any money, um, there are worse decisions that you could have made and you didn't. So, you know, you could even tell your parents, Hey, I don't feel proud about what I'm doing. Um, but this is what I'm doing. I mean, I, I don't know if you've even told them. I had a buddy that worked at a strip club as a door guy and he didn't want to tell anybody. And then it got out. And I think somebody was saying like the family found out that he was working the door at this, <laughs> this strip club. And he's like, look, I'm, I'm in between jobs. He, by the way, was not ashamed at all. He was, he was loving life. Um, <laughs> but his family was not real supportive of that. Like we sent you to a really good school <laughs> and now you're a door guy. And so, you know, and he wasn't even a big dude. He just was friendly and people liked him. So Kyle, I might ask you to chime in on this one other than you asking if there's an application available, but, uh, I think our guy's just beating himself up a little bit too much. I mean, it's kind of cool in a way that you have these standards and you're thro so thrown off by this, but if it's easy hours, the money's good and you know, you're not doing it forever. I would, I would lighten up a little bit on yourself unless you're so principled that you truly feel like you are a drug dealer. And then, all right, if it's bothering you that much and you can't sleep at night, I, there has to be a different way you can drive around and deliver stuff. Um, that's maybe not weed. Yeah. A few thoughts. Um, didn't you say you work as a bartender? Like how much, like you're literally serving up alcohol to people. You're upset. People are getting, getting weed. Also, can are you, I imagine you're driving for an app. Can't you deliver literally anything like what if you just went to Postmates instead? And and I get if it's a dispensary that hired you, but a lot of these things around here, it's like um, Blaze and all those other ones. Like those are just apps. It's just, it's Uber for weed. You could do the same thing with alcohol. So yeah, just lighten up, dude. You're just dropping shit off. Wow. Yeah. You went bartender weed argument there. That's, um, that's well, pretty good. I, I mean, there's more of a yeah. direct impact on whatever that guy is going to do after you gave him his fifth gin and tonic than when you're dropping off a fucking eighth of weed. I don't know. I would just yeah, say especially relax. gin. Especially gin, Kyle. I'm serious, you know? Cousin of gasoline. Although people like gin again now. Not when I was younger. Guys would be desperate, you know, before you turn 21 and then somebody would be like, I think there's a bottle of beef eater around here. You'd be like, ah, I guess we're staying in. <laughs> yeah, we had one guy that would just only drink gin and we were like, why? What? Oh, yeah. my God. Uh, How I long did that else? last? Ever, forever. Still today. He still only drinks gin? Yeah, he's like a big weed guy, but he's like, oh, but I'll have gin. Like, what? Well, How the gin thing now is it's very fancy. So, you know, there's there's a lot of like crafted gins and different stuff. So whatever the gin of today, the last few years, um, it's far more. He never has any mixers, though. It's just like I just he brought a bottle of gin to the thing and it's like, oh, awesome. <laughs> gin used to always make me think like of movies where they would, it would say like old movies where it'd say gin on the bottle. And that was when the guy was absolutely at his bottom. Like it wasn't any other thing than just like, be like, oh, that guy's drinking gin regularly. Oops, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Like a sign around your neck hanging, being like hooch. So yeah, there's definitely people listening right now, mixologists that are like, no, you guys are totally missing the point on gin. No, no, I get it. The crafted cocktails, you know, little basil in there. Uh, maybe some, maybe not with gin, but some thyme, 
I've seen all sorts of different things that you guys have done. So I'm aware of that and some of the small batch stuff that everybody really likes. I have a couple <laughs> of friends that drink it now, but it's a very casual, like have a gin cocktail thing. It's a, it's a very grown up thing. Whereas the gin options when we were a lot younger, no one in college was going, yeah, I do a, maybe a Tangerine tonic. I think there was a time where that was, that was a pretty big deal, but, uh, I don't, I haven't seen anyone order a Tangerine tonic now. I don't know how many years it's been, but it's been a long time. But again, I don't bartend, so, you know, I could be wrong. Oh, we got a, we got a guy checking in here. Young guy. Um, here we go. I know most of your audience is full grown adults as well as your life advice segments, but I'll give it a try. High schooler in the Northeast. I attend a relatively prestigious boarding school that every other man, member of my family attended. I'm the youngest of four and all my older siblings are extremely successful so, uh, so far in life. There's an enormous amount of pressure on me to go to an elite college and be successful. I'm not complaining. I'm extremely grateful that I've been given an opportunity that many others aren't, but I find myself so extremely unmotivated this year. I've been virtual and in person but I just can't seem to care about school. I know how important school is and how much my parents have sacrificed to send me to a private school. But for some reason, I just keep pushing off school. I've gotten fine grades, but certainly below what is expected of me. I just need a kick in the ass to help me get motivated. The reality is there's no excuse for me to not give 100% of my effort in school. I just need some advice in getting off my feet. All right. Um, so we're talking high school here. I don't know if he's still there. Look, I'll tell you, bud, as, as somebody that went to essentially an extension of a prep school for college in Vermont, and me coming from public school, how badly I wanted to transfer to private school to play sports because I just, you know, I really didn't like um, going to the high school that I went to. And then things kind of worked out there at the end, but it was, it was tough to, to move at that time of my life. So it wasn't like, oh, I want to be a private school kid so bad. It was just, I wanted to go somewhere that I could really focus on sports and, and that wasn't going to happen for me um, at home. So it never happened because I'm pretty sure that eventually my father's like, I don't want to pay, I'm not paying this, this is ridiculous. Uh, and for me, I was also going to have to like take a boat every day or board, which is even more. My father was definitely not paying for that. Um, not when, you know, you're paying taxes so that you can have your kids use the public school system. So when I got to Vermont, I remember, look, I don't know if it was jealousy or envy, but I'll tell you, like, I was kind of like, man, these guys that went to Groton or Taft or Choate or Westminster, Hobart, no, Hobart's college. Sorry. There's a, there's a different one in there. Um, I thought that shit was cool. So here you are, you're in it. And you know, I don't know why I thought it was cool, but I just did. I just did, man. And then as you kind of move and navigate through it, you realize all that stuff doesn't really matter. It just doesn't. It's like you get a couple cool rowing shirts. You show up earlier and be like, yeah, I was a chote. Oh, do you know Hopkins Hopkinsons and be like, yeah. Are you saying chode? I do know Chote. Chote. Spell it for me real quick and then I'll I'll leave it C H O A T E. Okay, got it. Thanks. Yeah. You thought I was saying chode is a prep well, school not the whole time? Not I mean that's not what I thought, but I was running across my mind. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, you're thinking that's the worst name for a prep school ever. Chode. Correct. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. Okay. All right. So my point, my point is is maybe I don't know what my point is. All right. The point that I need to make back to this is, is this is like, all right, you're in this situation where it is really cool. And since you're the youngest, I was the oldest, so I don't really know what that's like. Although I can pretend to realize like that's a ton of pressure for you and you're not feeling it and everything's been messed up. So you've been virtual, you've been there. I don't know if you're boarding the whole time, but you better start enjoying the boarding part a hell of a lot more. Um, but as far as doing the work, like I went to school and I thought like, oh, I'm so smart and this isn't even that hard of a school. I'm going to be great. And then I wasn't. And part of it was arrogance. And you can tell me anything at 18 anyway. And I signed up for all the wrong classes. I think we've been over this before and I bombed a couple. So I started off terrible. But there was another part of me as a student, which I think is what we're hitting on here a little bit, is that I didn't have any good habits as far as what I needed to do. Now, look, this goes back to pre-junior high when teachers are on your case about put in a little bit of time each day, put a little effort in, and your your reward will be there. But it's, most of us don't even work that way. I mean, however you, I mean, even, <laughs> look, I'm convinced no one's going to really care about the environment until it's way too late. And some scientists would argue right now, but we, for whatever reason, most of us 
can't do anything until we know it absolutely has to be done. And for a lot of us, it was like there's way more of us that thought of school that way um, than the person that was just kind of grinding along slowly. But the other thing that I used to, I don't know if this is your case, but I was so excited to have freedom and be out on my own that there could literally be nothing cool going on and I would still want in. Some people like, hey, we're firing up a game of Sega. Russell, what do you want to do? I'm in. Clat. I'm like, hey, I'm going outside to actually do nothing. D- really? In. Hey, Russell, I'm going to fill up my gas tank. In. Shotgun. Like, I just loved the movement and freedom of being like in a real place as opposed to Martha's Vineyard in the winter that I was honestly a little overwhelmed, which sounds ridiculous because it was barely 8,000 students and it wasn't this big town or big city or anything like that. But it was it was so much going on. And what I regret about those early years when I wasn't a good student, I became a really good student afterwards. And I know how great of a student I think I would be now because I literally spend all my time studying or writing. And granted, it's a little more streamlined and stuff that I like. But I would tell you this, you need to challenge yourself in a way that makes you feel a little uncomfortable. So for 30 days, give yourself an hour. That's it. Give yourself an hour. So if you're still on campus and you're boarding at the school, before you go back and go to the dorm and know that there's all sorts of awesome distractions, and even if they're not even that great, it's still a distraction. I started to turn it around whenever I was done with school, whenever I was done with class on campus, I wouldn't leave main campus until I just made myself sit in the library for an hour or two. Yeah, kick it at the library for sure. That's it. Now, the problem is, is library Vermont turned into like happy hour as you were getting closer to exams because it was just a scene. Guys were going there, they didn't even have to study. But if I could just do a little bit before I went back, and it was really simple math. Like, hey, I could be back to my dorm and be done for the day at one, or I can be back at the dorm and done with my day at three. Like, what are you going to, we didn't even have cable. We were watching fucking Ricky Lake reruns, you know? So if you can get that in your head that I'm just going to stay and I took way too long to do this. This is actually not great, so I apologize. But if you can get in your head that, hey, before I go back to do all those other things that I want to do that are more fun, that are with my buddies and all that stuff, you're going to change. And if you think like, oh, I don't I really, like, do you want to do this where you go, hey, I'm going to look myself in the mirror and say, you can or can't do this for 30 days. It's going to be a really terrible feeling to look yourself in the mirror and go, well, I can't do it. I'm incapable of doing this and taking like a 30-day challenge of making sure I stay on campus for at least an hour or two, finishing up some of the work. And just the workload part of it, it's actually an incredible feeling when the anxiety of not having a million things hanging over your head work-wise uh, is gone. All right. I need to tighten it up, by the way, <laughs> on that one. That was, that, was, uh, that was a lot. We had some people checking in on the, um, the guy who was dating the girl for the potential debt help scam the scam yeah yeah the guy followed up and said another kicker in defense of the program he said that the girlfriend said they give you like 10 grand so i felt like that was important to get there what does that thing looks even the way he said it it sounds sketchy they give you like 10 grand (laughs) yeah right right oh we had this guy chime in having hoops down has been killing me as well i actually went out and bought my own rim net and step ladder so i can shoot around i just find a park with a backboard and hang my rim so far, no one has given me any issues. I live in Philadelphia, born and raised. So a couple guys here and there have walked up and shot for a minute, but nothing too irresponsible from a social distancing standpoint. If you really want it, you'll make it happen. How about that? <laughs> All right. So that guy's calling me out because I haven't bought a stepladder, a rim net, and some bolts, which you conveniently seem. Or I guess maybe the bolts are still up there off the old rim. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not driving around with a ladder. Sorry. Oh, we had another guy chime in before we get to uh, our final one. It says, I don't need any life advice. I'm currently living the dream, adventuring through the first two years of marriage, suffocating and crippling debt from buying a house and dealing with the spousal stress of trying to get my wife pregnant. Couldn't be better. Um, he noticed the videos here. People really concerned about this room that I'm doing the videos in. And he wanted to know if we have the same headboard. And he sent me a link to his. No, it's not the same one. Okay, this is a tough one. This one is tough, man. Little background, 32, married, father of a five-month-old, wife's sister, so his wife's younger sister is getting married to a 22-year-old. 
I get a group text out of the blue from numbers I don't recognize. Turns out I've been invited to a two-day extravaganza that features shooting, not my thing, golf, not my thing, and a sleepover. I don't sleep well. <laughs> How do I possibly go about getting through this? I've been to the shooting range at a previous bachelor party and may have ruined everyone's time. I'm a good enough athlete where I'd have fun with golf, but my main issue is being around young strangers and not feeling like the Steve Buscemi meme. That's the, the hello, fellow kids, right? There. Yeah, you got I it. get that one. I get that one thrown at me a lot, but usually it's because I'm making fun of a trend. So, uh, I also have a main issue of potentially having so many mental illnesses that it's like the Simpsons sketch with Mr. Burns, where he has so many diseases that they all work in perfect harmony. I'm just a moody, anxious person who finds a way to make everything about themselves or can really just flat out not have fun and freak people out. All right. Just double checking. This isn't a, a movie plot or anything like that, right, Kyle? Just a quick Rolodex. No, I don't think so. It would be a yeah. shitty movie, I think. It Well, maybe. If Vince Vaughn was in it, it'd be good. I could already see that part. Okay, so here's here's the guy's question. Do I tell this kid flat out that I can't go? Or do I booze it up the entire time and risk end up like Will Ferrell in old school? The kid's a great kid. He helped me uh, put up my heavy bag. I want to be someone who's able to have fun. I also don't like being closed-minded about future things and tell myself I won't. it won't be doable. But this doesn't seem doable. I'm going to agree with you. I don't think this is doable. Because when you say, hey, do I just booze it up? These guys are 22. They're getting after it all the time. They're just going to be able to drink better than you will at this point. Unless, I don't know, unless you're incredible. But I'm just talking about science here. Um, because anybody that goes to the college run and then that little bit of run after that, it's, it's, a, it's a real, there's a real correction on the human body. So um, you don't want to golf. You don't like shooting. You've mentioned that at a previous bachelor party at a shooting range, you, you did something that ruined everyone's time. Um, what would that be? I don't know. Did he start saying like a joke? I don't know. Are you walking around going, do we really need guns? You need to. <laughs> that would need to overhaul. <laughs> You're yeah, right. right. That's probably what you're at a gun range with a bunch of gun guys asking questions about the Second Amendment, being like, "Yeah, but, you know, is this necessary?" So, um, <laughs> the yeah. So if you just get, I mean, unless you're maybe you can totally take care of, it, but if you already have all this anxiousness going into it, and then you're like, "Oh, I'll just get drunk and deal." Um, I don't know. I don't like that math. I don't like that math on this one. So, um. You don't want to do anything and you don't even need these. Like you don't even know these people all that well. Your only problem is the guilt of not continuing to do these things. And my guess is you're going to continue <laughs> to not do these things. And as you get older, you're going to have less guilt because you're just going to kind of accept who you are at this point, which is kind of a nice feeling too. Where you're like, all right, whatever. I'm just that guy that doesn't want to do a ton of this stuff because I just don't feel comfortable doing it. But here's where you are off the hook. Here is the good news, my man. They don't want you there. <laughs> <laughs> right? These guys are only inviting you because the guy's wife's older sister is your wife. So you're off the hook. They don't want the 32-year-old guy to be there. They are going to be a little afraid about some of the back and forth because there's nothing weirder than a guy that's this orbiting moon that's not really part of the main deal of the planet who just kind of shows up to these, this, this stuff, almost the success rate on this is so low. Also ties back to the wife sort of like, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know, what's he going to go say that then it's that her sister, you know, not that they're doing to do anything nefarious, but it's also like, you know, you're not on the other team, but you definitely have a connection to the other team. Kyle immediately gives us the prostitute warning label. Or, or just like somebody made a joke that was so funny and somehow it slipped out a week later when they were fucking making breakfast and, I don't know. Well, Just all dangerous. of those things are on this. Yeah, look, all those things are fair. Great observations, all on the table. Um, but I don't. I wouldn't worry about this too much. I mean, look, the guy's marrying your wife's sister. You're gonna see him around. It's awesome. He helped him put up the heavy bag. Unless you're like some badass or something, you know. Um, and you guys are gonna have plenty of time to probably socialize in the future. So take a deep breath, exhale, say no, problem solved. Word. Larry David, this one, no doubt.
Yeah. And but the great thing is you're being invited to something the people inviting you are hoping you say no to. Likely. I, unless my people are all the worst, but every every single time there's been kind of an outside the mix guy, it was always like, oh, and you know, we gotta bring Deb's husband. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's his deal? And some see the funny thing is I kind of like our emailer here because he's going into it knowing, like, ah, we've had guys show up that were like, Yes, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, guys in their 20s, early 30s, they rent out this house, they do a weekend here, and then there's some guy who's just there, and everybody's always like, Who's that guy? Oh, what's that? Oh, it's oh, it's the wife's sister. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's the brother. Oh, okay. That's the best <laughs> one, is when the guy's the same age and your wife's brother has to go and nobody knows him and then that guy usually it never rarely are people like you know what was awesome at that bachelor party is the guy none of us knew let's do more stuff with him enjoy the weekend everyone This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.